on these three lives. Welcome, listeners, to the 49th chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Stefan Molyneux Volume 1 episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rakotansky, Julian Fields, and Travis View. A couple weeks ago, I contacted my friend Travis View in the DMs, and I was there to push him because he had been formulating a certain uh, theory, a certain enthusiasm towards a man called Stefan Molyneux. And, you know, we were planning on doing an episode, but then... I saw that bald-headed motherfucker say one stupid thing too many, and I, I, I snapped. Something inside me snapped, and I, I told, I told Travis, let's do this. Let's do this as soon as possible. And uh, this is our first two-parter. Uh, Stefan Molyneux, if you do not know him, is um, a man who went from being basically a self-proclaimed anarcho-capitalist to full-on white supremacist. Uh, in very short period of time, uh, he's another one of these uh, lost boomers. Uh, he's Canadian in this case, which makes it even weirder. <laughs> he has some sort of boner for Poland. It, it, he's embroiled in multiple mini weird scandals. He had a cult-like following at some point. He is a man, once again, of multitudes. Um, and uh, I'm very glad that, that we're sicking Travis with his the full power of the wrath of dad energy onto this <laughs> this puny puny human. Um Jake looks very excited about it. Uh which, you know, that's how he always is. Um Well, so, I mean, I've been like you guys these two guys, uh Julian and Travis have been going back and forth in the DMs for like the last like 3 weeks just going off about this and like it's that they're so excited about. It. I feel like a like a guy at the water cooler who doesn't watch sports and like two other guys mm. are kind of talking about like, you know, the game the big game that went down and I'm just I feel you know, I'm yeah. I'm I'm anxious to see like wh- what you know what was produced in all of this uh yeah in all of this energy. I do I do like that that's your perspective on us working every week. <laughs> every week you're like, "Man, it's like they're talking about this big world out there. <laughs> I wonder what they're yapping about." <laughs> it's like, I wonder what I'm going to do for my story. This seems difficult. It seems like a difficult topic to craft a narrative from. Anyways, we'll stop hijacking the episode because we have to go into QAnon news. First up, everyone loves the QAnon baby, the baby that supposedly believes in Q. On the night of July 17th, uh, President Trump held a rally in Greenville, North Carolina. During the rally, an attendee held aloft their baby who was wearing a onesie that contained the word Trump on the front and letter Q on the back. Uh, this was noticed by Trump, who complimented the baby. That beautiful baby. Look at that beautiful baby. Wow, what a baby. <laughs> what a baby. That is a beautiful baby. That's like from an advertisement. Perfect. But look how happy that baby is. So beautiful. Thank you, darling. That's really nice. It's a a great thing. Is that your husband? That's a great thing. Thank you. Congratulations, husband. (laughs) Congratulations, (laughs) What a picture. Well, we're going to have the country all set for your child, okay? Because that's what it's about. Now, the media will say that's a prop. They say, no baby is so beautiful. <laughs> that had to be a setup. I never saw that guy in my life, which is true. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you very much. 
So wow. For, for a moment, the QAnon community forgot all about the whole Epstein case and freaked out about a baby with a Q onesie. Uh, the Q baby was referencing Q two Q drops and caused Q baby to trend on Twitter. Now, there's no real indication that Trump even saw the Q on the on the baby's back. Uh, despite that fact, the QAnon community thought that Trump calling out that baby was a way to goad the mainstream media into asking Trump yeah. about QAnon. Trump can't bring it up himself. Yeah, we all can. know how the rules of engagement work. Yeah, yeah. This this is part of like the the QAnon belief that if a reporter does ask Trump about Q, then Trump will confirm QAnon. And the reason yeah. that reporters haven't done that is because they're too scared. Now, this is despite the fact the reporter actually has already asked Press Secretary Sanders about QAnon, and she provided this nonspecific boilerplate answer about condemning all violent movements, basically. Yeah, but she's a, a black hat. So <laughs> wait, so wait, so wait a second. So Trump, Trump can't confirm that he's part of QAnon because then it's what? Like, then it's not secret anymore and it can't be like insider training. But if somebody asks him... He can confirm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is somehow it would lead to a different outcome than. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watching. I don't understand uh, that. Watching part. Trump speak like it, it, it fucks with my brain the same. Have you ever had an apple and you're halfway through eating it and it falls and then you you pick it back up and like the, the part you've been eating is just filled with little dirt particles and awfulness. And yeah. And you just understand that that's that's what's up. That That's how I, I feel when I listen to him try to to stumble his way through what sounds like a fucking commencement speech. And then it's like someone's wedding. Congratulations, husband. Dude, I'm, he's unreal, man. Like I, I, I hadn't actually heard the audio from that. I had just seen the, you know, the ro the roving gym. Dude, he's fucking amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, dude, the world is fucking. Yeah. I, I, mm -hmm. it, yeah. It's, it's. Congratulations, <laughs> husband. That's a beautiful baby. It's like in an advertisement, the baby. A fool. Look at you, what you did. A good thing you did there. <laughs> Make wife, children. Wife. <laughs> you, 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 uh, husband, wife, congratulations, child, baby. Now, the parents of the Q baby had a brief interview with Rolling Stone. I, I mean, I don't know why <laughs> the fuck. they are Who talking why? to the fake news media. God yeah. damn it. But uh, why, why, why did Rolling Stone do that? <laughs> I don't know, man. Why, are, know. why are they doing this? We're doing it to ourselves. We're mainlining this shit. We're mainlining this shit. So the parents identify themselves as Roman Rizelvato, 24, who is an employee of a subcontracting company, and Cassidy Bayless, 21, who is a stay-at-home mom and aspiring vlogger. So, Jake is crying, by the way, right. if you were wondering, audience. He's so, weeping. Here is what the father of the Q baby said. We find the Q movement empowering because it's a lot of patriots that are following Trump when a lot of media is bashing our president. It's exciting to know there's someone out there fighting for us to bring darkness to light. It's almost as if that was written for him. You know, yeah. it's like he hit all the he hit all the right notes. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting. But yeah, so that's the tale of the Q baby. For my second story, prosecution of child sex traffickers plummeted under Trump, according to study. Uh, a core conviction of QAnon is that Obama helped shield sex traffickers, but Donald Trump is valiantly fighting against uh, this this evil pedophile ring. Dude, fucking Obama is a, a heel slut for sex traffickers, okay? And because you both don't understand what that means, you're old and I'm actually not. <laughs> I'm still very youthful. <laughs> 
But according to a report from the Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse, or TRAC, at Syracuse University, which used the uh, latest available Department of Justice data, the number of federal sex trafficking convictions is actually down. Uh, prosecutions for sex trafficking of children under a law used against financier Jeffrey Epstein last week uh, are down 26.7% uh, over the past fiscal year. The Obama administration dramatically ramped up prosecutions, climbing threefold from 85 cases in 2009, the, uh, the year they took office, to more than 260 during the, the final year of uh, uh, during his final year in the White House. Uh, while those prosecutions held steady in the first year under President Donald Trump, Trek's analysis of Justice Department data says that they have taken a dramatic plunge every year since. So. Interesting. That Department of Justice data, by the way, this isn't mm -hmm. like a fake, uh, you know, the, the liberal university kind of data uh, says yeah. that federal sex trafficking cases like the ones that the Epstein was prosecuted under mm -hmm. are declining. Well, no, because yeah, they're when, all sealed. It's because all the right. indictments are sealed. When Trump yeah. was we, elected. We just don't know it yet. Right. The energy that Trump gave off was so powerful that pedophiles <laughs> stopped fucking kids. <laughs> And so they were just too scared to, to do it anymore. They still wanted to, but the energy through the TV yeah. of Trump yeah, giving they, speeches they, to the Q wife about the baby. They tremble before the MAGA energy. <laughs> I had one QAnon follower tell me, it's like, oh, no, no, no. Arrests are up. Arrests are up. Not prosecutions. As if they're, they're being arrested, but like just held without yeah. bail. What, I, uh, sealed. No yeah. Sealed yeah. arrest. Sealed, sealed, sealed. sealed arrest. That's yeah. what they'll say. Right. Mm-hmm. For my third story, now this is this is a big one. Epstein news. Uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit possibly poised to reveal elite sex abuse. This is the real Mueller report. Yeah. So, uh, so Gabriel Sherman for a Vanity Fair reported that sometime in the near future, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit will release almost two thousand pages of documents that could reveal sexual abuse by powerful people. This is uh, this is pretty funny considering Vanity Fair were the fucking people who made the editorial decision to basically clamp yeah, down right. on yes. the claims and and hide hide specific right. things that Epstein had done. That's right. What, and was that censor the yeah, Vicky Vicky Ward? Uh, according to the three. Judge panel's ruling, those implicated may include, quote, numerous prominent American politicians, powerful business executives, foreign presidents, a well-known prime minister, and other world leaders. Ooh, I wonder who the prime minister is. Um, well, I mean, the British one, of course. <laughs> the British are a country of pedophiles. I mean, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings who may be listening to this show. Yeah. You don't want to make any sweeping statements. Yeah. or yeah, no, know. I, I would not want to do that. Uh, the documents were filed during a civil defamation lawsuit brought by Epstein accuser Virginia Roberts Gereffrey, a former Mar-a-Lago locker room attendant, against Epstein's former girlfriend and alleged madam, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. The lawyer representing Virginia Roberts Gereffrey, uh, David Boyes, said this. Nobody who is around Epstein a lot is going to have an easy time now. It's all going to come out. It's going to be staggering the amount of names. It's going to be contagion numbers. Is he talking about like the cell phone game? Like... I, or like the movie? Yeah, is he talking about uh, the movie Contagion with Gwyneth Paltrow? Contagion I and Matt Damon. He's, he's saying just or just the concept of contagion. It's gonna it's gonna spread like a contagion does. I mean, the guy is not the best with words, but yeah. you know, as long as you fucking unseal the biggest trove of pedophiles yeah. in modern history, my man, I uh, don't care yeah. if you fucking suck at grammar. Yeah, do it, baby. Release us. But fucking yeah, this, give us what we want. This is, this is 
the closest thing that the to to the storm that the, that's ever been promised in real life. Fucking yeah. knees. I'm on my knees with my mouth wide open. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me entirely and fully. Give me every single name in that book, please. Thank oh you. Oh my god, it's gonna be fucking crazy. I man. will I mean, take it all if it does get released. Again, can't can't make any promises. Yeah. Yeah, it, it I can make you a promise just, right here, right now. <laughs> this is a legally binding promise that I promise you that though that book's going to be amazing. It's going to read like a who's who. Um, Travis View will be on it. <laughs> <laughs> For my fourth story, uh, Trump campaign member Stacey Dash promotes QAnon conspiracy theories. Now, uh, Stacey Dash, the co-chair of the Trump campaign's Women for Trump initiative, is a full on QAnon follower. Uh, in addition to regularly tweeting out WWG1, WGA, on July 20th, she quote tweeted a tweet that falsely promoted the QAnon claim that an underage Rachel Chandler was pictured with Bill Clinton on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. In reality, the photograph was taken on Ron Burkle's plane, and she was 19 years old at the time. And it doesn't matter because she doesn't exist because those are just two names of people that were at, in, on Friends. Yeah. Okay, that's not yeah. even <laughs> it's not even a real person's name. Interestingly, Julie K. Brown of the Miami Herald, who helped break open the Epstein story, recently told Snopes uh, this week that the baseless allegations about Chandler uh, uh, being connected to Epstein are totally bunk. And uh, here's what she said. I have never run across her name anywhere. And I checked with two people involved in the case for 12 years and they never heard of her. They suspect it's BS Internet conspiracy shit. <laughs> And I, I love Julie K. Brown for yeah. this. I suspect, <laughs> I suspect our podcast is that as well. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is so insane that they're that they're just targeting just uh, just a woman who happened to be photographed with Bill Clinton and saying that she is uh, a hundred times worse than Allison Mack, the woman who is connected mm -hmm. with the uh, Nexium sex cult scandal. Yeah, they've uh, even they've even uh, posited that her last name is is not even a, a last name at all, but just the combination of the words child and handler. <laughs> If you took like if, if what, these people are the types of people that if you if you they're watching a movie and you just spliced three completely unrelated movies together they wouldn't even wouldn't even notice it. Here's how things work down here. This is like Creed and on and fr this is like Creed eating a potato like <laughs> literally just a raw potato with your hand. It's like we take your first name and then we take a combination of what you are you uh, in this uh, case a child handler so you will be Rachel. <laughs> Chandler, we've got a uh, we've we've got a uh, we've got uh, another guy we've got another guy over here. Uh, Jimmy sweeps buckets. Uh, like, you no, know, go on, please bring this one to the logical conclusion. Tell me about Jimmy sweeps buckets. Well, Your fantastic new character, Jimmy sweeps buckets. What a what a craftsman! All the listeners love you for your storytelling skill, your acumen. That's what he is. It's a combination of the words. <laughs> he sweeps the buckets and so. Oh my God. He's red and puffy and weeping again. Breaking news. Wow, this is uh, this is breaking just today. Uh, you might remember the story of Anthony Camello, the uh, the QAnon follower who was accused of killing uh, Frankie Cali, the mob boss in Staten Island. Well, just today, according to uh, the New York Times, uh, his lawyer filed documents that suggested that he was basically motivated by QAnon. He was he believed that Frankie Cali was part of the deep state. And he was going to his house in order to perform a citizen's arrest of, of him. 
Mm-hmm. And um, this is something apparently he had done before. He had tried to uh, uh, make citizens arrest of like high profile figures. So yeah, so this is looking like what uh, was it? Uh, Anthony Camello's lawyer, Mr. Gottlieb wrote, he said, Mr. Camello became certain that he was enjoying the protection of President Trump himself and he had the president's full support. He was a, a full digital soldier, more than digital soldier, really. A real life. Yeah. So this is this one. is uh, this is insane. I mean, it was sort of like strongly sort of suspected before. Um, something else that, uh, that uh, his lawyer wrote was that Mr. Camello's support for QAnon went beyond mere participation in a radical political organization. It evolved into a delusional obsession, you know, yep. as it, as it often does. Um, so yeah, this is nuts. This is like, this is as, as confirmed as it gets that, you know, QAnon has a body count and it's a big one. You know, it's a big fish. Yeah. A mob yeah, boss. Yeah, it's a mob yeah. boss. Yeah. It's a big Italian and body. I'm sure, I'm sure when the, when, the, you know, the, the lawyer sat him down and they were like, oh, Anthony, oh, well, how could you do such a thing? He was like, I've been instructed by President Trump himself yeah. through a secret uh, military uh, campaign uh, run through anonymous message boards. And the lawyers were like, oh, good. Right. They were like, tell <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah right. okay. Yeah, uh-huh. keep it coming. Keep it coming. Yeah, what yeah, else? Yeah. What else you got? Yeah, what else did, uh, you know, the, the magic 8chan anon <laughs> tell you? Just a minute ago, Jordan Sather, a big QAnon megaphone and influencer, has chimed in. Sometimes getting cued is a good thing. Sometimes it's not. Hashtag fake news. Wait, wait, wait. If, if, he's, if he's recognizing that it's a bad thing, well, how is it fake news? Yeah. Doesn't matter, Travis. <laughs> that's, that's what, okay, I'm sorry. Nothing matters. Fucking Jordan Sather. Fuck you. Fuck you. Wait, um, yeah, yeah. It's like he says something that's kind of actually... Be like all... Uh, yeah, he's like, true. Wow. Oh, it's Jordan being responsible? He was like, he was being responsible for like 90% of that tweet. And be like, oh, hey, you know, sometimes... If sometimes, really, all the time, being radicalized online is a bad thing. But there's a small sliver of crack of humanity in Jordan Sather's fucking grifter persona. Yeah. But he just fucking crashed at the last. Yeah, second. I think Hashtag he threw. Fake news. Yeah, I think he threw in the fake news to you know just just to throw a bone out there to the community. You know, so nobody would be like, "Well, what are you saying, man? That like QAnon like actually can be bad?" It's like, "Oh, well, he said fake news, so well, yeah. no, no, well, now I'm not sure, so I'm just going to decide whatever I think it is is the reality." They're trying to show you both sides of a thing that's only good. And <laughs> as such, there's no bad sides, fake news. Thank you very much. <laughs> Stephen Molyneux with Travis View. So this week, I am going to be talking about Stephen Molyneux. And for those who don't know, he is a 52-year-old Canadian self-styled philosopher, YouTuber, and author of several self-published books. He's been pushing his message online for a long time, since 2005. Uh, You might consider him a founding member of the so-called intellectual dark web more than a decade before that kind of thing had a name. He probably is best known for his podcast and online community, Free Domain Radio. And just for the sake of clarity, Stefan Molyneux has never been involved in the QAnon community anyway. But I do think he's relevant to this podcast because when we talk about, uh, you know, uh, far right radicalization and sort of online cultish movements, he's definitely uh, in that wheelhouse. Yeah. So, um his work explore, explores a broad range of topics, um, everything from politics to religion to personal relationships. What he basically offers followers is a complete prepackaged worldview. His philosophy offers answers to everything from big questions about God and morality to more down-to-earth issues like dating and careers. 
And just a warning, this, this is going to be our biggest episode to date. Uh, so the reason we're going to separate it into two parts is that is that he's been doing this for so long. He's been online pumping out material for 15 goddamn years. And I, and his work covers such a broad range of topics that I don't think I could do him justice in just a single episode. And uh, the second big reason I really want to like, you know, stick it to Stefan is that I, at one point in my life, I was a Stefan Molyneux fan. So uh, I'm not proud of it, but around the 2009, 2010, I regularly listened to his podcast and I watched his videos and I didn't agree with everything he said, but at the time I thought he talked a lot of sense. You're safe here. <laughs> so I, I'm not just covering him. I feel like I'm doing this to exercise a demon from deep inside my soul. The part of me that thought that watching him was a good idea and that he was a smart person who was worthwhile. That's, I'm going to sort of excise that from, uh, from my past here. It's healthy. Yeah, this is like the Scott Adams episode for me, where it's like you just have to reckon with your past. So weird. Yeah, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> so I wanted to understand uh, why I found him so appealing at that time in my life and also why he built such a massive online community and why people were so into him. They were willing to separate themselves from their biological family over his worldview. So the first thing you should know about Stefan Molyneux is that he's actually a really charismatic speaker. In his videos, he frequently has a big smile on his face, like he just loves being in front of the camera. He comes across as warm and open. He has a really great voice. Uh, the rhythm and tempo of his speech is hypnotic. His face is really animated when he gets passionate about a point he's making. He makes jokes and acts goofy and self-deprecating when he feels like it. So he never really feels dry or inhuman. And he can speak for a very long period of time, like an hour or more, without appearing to reference notes. And he knows exactly what he's doing with his upbeat demeanor. Uh, here's Stefan from a podcast explaining how he uses his cheery persona to draw people into his philosophy. We want to be right. happy. Everybody wants to be happy. And when they see somebody who's happy, they're like, got to get me some of that. Whether they like it or not, that's the irresistible gravity well of FDR. I know that human beings, the gravity well for human beings is happiness. And so I've just yeah. been relentlessly fucking happy, and honestly so, from the beginning. And I know that no matter how much people hate what I'm talking about, <laughs> they are irresistibly drawn back because it's what they want. I'm so happy that you're attracted to my white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? He's amazing. He He's is. so happy. What a king. God damn. You're right, Travis. You're right to be incredibly horny and have written that amazing fanfic about Stefan we just went through. I mean, it's like <laughs> you can't really understand. It's like when you, when you well, yeah. actually, when you break down his philosophy, it's so mm -hmm. fucking dumb and it's recycled and it's, and it's stupid. So I think you can't really understand why he has the audience he has without understanding his sort of personal demeanor and yeah. charisma. He has something that's sort of just magnetic about him. He honey, can't deny that. He honeypots people like yeah. you. Yeah. And on top of that, it's obvious that he thinks about the content of what he's saying. He's someone who uh, understands and reads books. He's articulate. He sometimes cites philosophers, scientific studies, and other research to bolster his points. He appears capable of applying you know, fundamental rules about deductive reasoning in order to argue for a particular conclusion. Even if, as we're going to see later, his application of reason is some, somewhat uh, inconsistent, let's say. He uh, clarifies and illustrates his points with examples and analogies and responds 
directly to criticism of his arguments, even if it comes from uh, some anonymous YouTube commenter. And that's what really impressed me when I, like, I first got into him. It was, it was very powerful because it gives you the sense that even if, uh, what you, even if you think that what he's saying is wrong, that he would address, he would address your points, even if you're just some sort of anonymous shit poster. You know, it makes you just as sort of like a dipshit on the internet feel kind of special. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, here is a ex-listener of Stefan Molyneux describing his experience of uh, watching, watching him on YouTube when he was uh, still into Stefan Molyneux. I mean, like, he seems so non-threatening in the way that he kind of acts and just the way that that, that he talks to people like his use of language is really really good um in that way that he just he never seems like he makes a mistake in terms of not empathizing with someone um and i know like i know what that's like when i was listening to the podcast too like i thought he had my best interests at heart his listeners best interests at heart but you know by extension you kind of form this relationship with him as a um as a friend, I don't know. <laughs> That's the kind of like thing that happened to me or that I started to just kind of think of him as a friend. He's, he's Steph, you know, come on, he's Steph. <laughs> he's not going to do anything wrong to me or he's not going to say anything um, out of out of the ordinary to his listeners that would like harm them and harm their lives because he only has good intentions for his listeners. Man, it's cool that you took a moment to record that, Travis. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, the thing is, is that in addition to sort of the, the community of uh, people who really like Steph, you'll see that there, there really is, there's another community of ex-listeners who, who once they sort of like, they break the spell that uh. he puts on people, they realize like, oh, I've been fucking bamboozled. And um, they, they, they gather together and sort of share notes about their experience being drawn into this weird. That, uh, that's know, very specific because like, like, like that means. He's, he's like, yeah, he's more of a cult than anyone else. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's not a lot of other like even big figures like you know fucking Cernovich or whatever Prilosybic. Yeah. Um, yeah, th those guys uh, they they don't have like before and after communities. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I was once in it and now I'm out of it. Like like QAnon has. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's it's a strange experience. I mean, if you, if you happen to be like a bright kid who feels like the mainstream media is thoughtless, political discourse is just stupid mudslinging, and the whole political system itself is fundamentally broken, he, he can be really magnetic. Yeah, He's also very appealing to people who feel alienated from their immediate family for reasons we'll see soon. So what I'm going to do is talk about Stefan Molyneux's beliefs and background a bit, and then I'm going to talk about his, um, for part one, I'm going to talk about his philosophy up to around uh, 2015. And for part two, I'm going to talk about his turn from sort of a fringe internet philosopher with a bit of a cultish following into something a lot darker. That is someone who promotes pseudoscientific racism, Islamophobia, and platforms out and out white supremacists. So Stephen Molyneux was born in Ireland and raised mainly in London before moving to Canada at age 11. By his own account, he did not have a happy childhood. He said that his father was absentee, and he once described his mother as, quote, crazy as a bat hound, end quote. In his 2007 book, On Truth, The Tyranny of Illusion, he describes just how alienated he felt from his family. Here's what he said in that book, and this is a two-minute long clip from his audiobook, but I think it's really key to understanding why Stefan is the way he is. My mother, brother, and father made extravagant claims about their love for me. However, when I finally sat down and asked each of them to recount a few 
facts about me, some of my preferences and values. I got a perfect tripod of thousand-yard stairs. So, I thought, if people who know almost nothing about me claim to love me, then either they are lying or I do not understand love at all. Throughout my childhood, whenever I expressed a personal thought, desire, wish, preference, or feeling, I was generally met with eye-rolling, incomprehension, avoidance, or, all too often, outright scorn. These various rejection tactics were completely co-joined with expressions of love and devotion. When I started getting into philosophy through the works of Ayn Rand originally, oh. my <laughs> growing love of wisdom was dismissed out of hand as some sort of psychological dysfunction. <laughs> Since my family knew precious little about my virtues and what they did know they disliked, then we could not all be virtuous. If they were virtuous and disliked my values, then my values could not be virtuous. If I was virtuous and they disliked my values, then they could not be virtuous. And so I set about trying to create an ethical map of my family. Jesus it was the Christ. most frightening thing I have ever done. The amount of emotional resistance that I felt towards the idea of trying to rationally and morally understand my family was staggering. It literally felt as if I were sprinting directly off a cliff. Why was it so terrifying? Well, because I knew that they were lying. I knew what? that they were lying about loving me. Jesus and I knew Christ. that by claiming to be confused about whether they loved me, I was lying as well. And to myself, which is the worst of all falsehoods. The, yeah. Dude, this is trash. Yeah, this man it's, is Dude, he's, his writing sucks what in a this. Loser. Like he I can't yeah. I have no idea what he's talking about. He's basically describing being a teenager like, yeah. and liking the debate club. Like <laughs> yeah. except he's like I found out my parents were actually made of cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean like a one level, I mean it sounds like when he talks about his his early childhood, it sounds like he was genuinely impoverished and he did really feel like neglected by his family which yeah. is tragic and sucks and it happens uh, but at the but on another level he's really talking about like a tale as old as families right i mean the young people they they mature into adolescence they yeah. start they start separating into their individual sort of uh persona they start seeing that maybe my folks uh, have some things wrong about the world they become independent become independent people yeah this is um a natural, normal, healthy process. But for a guy like this, who 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 has read Anne Rand and thinks he's God, right? What what matters to him is to figure out how his brain is going to become an umbrella for all things that like lay before him. And right now, it's his family, and he's like, "Whence will they be fitted of the?" And it's like, dude, every one of these people are completely independent. They have their own brain. They matter just as much as whatever the fuck you're talking about. Anything you come up with is only as important as anything else that anyone else <laughs> yeah. comes up with. But these guys at this age, especially when you're a young man, you're like, I will understand this world, this whore of a world. I will put her under my spell and understand her. I will understand her. I will. And when traveling back to the place where I have been, I will see what now remains to be unspoken. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just the, bullshit. It's just, but it is like this old colonial youth guy. <laughs> yeah. Like he was like, and that is, you know, that that's the, the first day that I figured out that if I measured the skulls of the indigent people, <laughs> yeah. including my father, mother, brother, and sister, who are all subhuman idiots. Turns out my sister. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and he does it in like a Canadian accent too, which is... 
It's like it almost is, colonial, right? but like. But it you, does sound like he's writing a letter in the 1700s. Like his writing is is totally. It only really, yeah. It's like it's. I don't know. It's like for for angry. Uh, it's like a passive aggressive uh, history nerd or something. Like there's something so weird about his energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is very it's, it's very strange i mean i almost kind of believe his story about like he had a shitty childhood and so philosophy was his his oasis his out i could sort of he felt like he could sort of like his think his way out of his pain yeah yes yeah, like a child from like the 1900s yeah but he doesn't think he's like putting forth theories he thinks he's fucking magneto like he thinks right. he fucking controls like the, the you know the fucking that as right. soon as he figures out the universe the universe will somehow turn to him and be like whoa you figured me out, motherfucker. Yeah. Amazing. It's like, no, no, Stefan. Like, we're all alone until we die. Like, it's, <laughs> but it's fine. Let's, like, rejoice. And we're all just as important. So we can party. We can have fun time together. Love each other. But for him, it's very much like, you know, if if cutting, if, if I can get to the mental formation I want to, and my family's in the way, fuck my family. <laughs> you know what I mean? He really yeah. is very fixated very early on. Uh, Molyneux went on to attend Glendon College of York University in Toronto, where he was an actor at Theater Glendon and a member of the Debating Society. Yes, there it is. I fucking knew are. it. Yep. God damn it. <laughs> he then attended the National Theater School of Canada in Montreal. I, I kind of think that maybe his training as an actor may explain why he proved to be so charismatic once he started producing YouTube videos. Yeah, for sure. In uh, 1991, at age 25, Molyneux received a BA degree in history from McGill University. He later received a master's degree in history uh, from the University of Toronto in 1993. So his master's thesis happens to be online. And uh, it's interesting because it sort of offers you to, to a peak of what would become his philosophy that he promoted on YouTube. His master's thesis is titled Worlds Apart, Senseless Ethics and Rational Dictatorship. He, he argues that there are two paradigms in the Western philosophy, oh what he calls centralism and supra-centralism. Dude, this is this kind of guy. It's always like there are two people, yeah. people who like cigars and people who don't like cigars. And the whole way it's like that. you're a fucking stand up from the fucking 50s, dude. Like yep. you're fucking so stupid. Oh, you found two categories. <laughs> did you now to, to do to no separate one gives a shit. all oh. of Western philosophy? God, they're so <laughs> oh, it's just. I've met this guy so many times over. Right. In uh, centralism, philosophy is a set of principles and procedures designed to aid consciousness and maintain and maintain truth. However, in supra-centralism, faith is the highest standard of value. Uh, his thesis argues that supra-centralism leads to belief in subjective reality, revelation, despotic will, and totalitarianism. However, centralism leads to belief in objective reality, empirical rationality, individual rights, and limited constitutional democracy. His sort of uh, implicit endorsement of constitutional democracy in his master's thesis is interesting since he would later become best known for his promotion of political anarchism. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> among other things. Among other things. <laughs> among other, uh, yeah. Worse things than that, certainly. Yeah. Now, um, I have never worked in academia at the graduate level, I have to say, but his thesis struck me as overly simplistic, and I was very curious how he was able to acquire a master's degree with it. Fortunately, Stefan explained how he did it in a 2005 blog post in which he gripes about his university experience. As I labored through my undergraduate degree and graduate studies, I was ignored in a manner that was chilling at the time. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like this. 
But people in, were mean and didn't <laughs> like me. It turned out my brain could not manipulate how people felt about me. But in hindsight, was entirely logical. It took me months to find a thesis advisor who then gave me an A without reading my thesis, mostly to stop me from pestering him. I would argue for particular positions in class and over and over receive a shrug and, well, that's just your opinion. I was aghast at the idea that modern academics was all opinion, but of course, I shouldn't have been. Oh my god. Yeah. What is this, some sort of fucking origin story for a Batman villain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the way, he puts M.A. on the, the end of his name on his books, even though by his own words, he admits that his master's degree is fraudulent. So he fucking pestered people so much that they were just like, just go away, go yeah, away. Fine. Here's an A, a. fine, bye. fine, go, fine. Get the fuck, fuck out of my face. Off. Fuck off. He's like, and they refused to speak to me in class. <laughs> I know. It's they like, would not address me. Yeah, here's the thing. When he was talking about his early days, his family felt so alienated from them. I would feel like, okay, I buy this. I, but, yeah. but, but once he gets to like fucking college and he's still talking about the people around him in the exact same way, how they're all stupid. And he was like the smartest person in the room yeah, at all times. Know, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. So this is just, you're just a, a, a narcissist. You just have issues with other human beings all the time. Yeah, because yeah. he was probably like raising his hand and being like, might, right. <laughs> like, might the size of one's skull determine <laughs> whether, and the, and, the, and he's like, he's like, in my, in my opinion, I believe that, and the professor was like, well, the, you know, that's just your opinion. And like, go back to the chalkboard and he's yeah. like he was like i fumed oh. inside <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like how could he reject such a plausible question <laughs> he has an interior dialogue he's yeah. little lord fauntleroy that's about to turn into a batman villain yeah he's like that was the day that the first wound set i went home that night ashamed broken but determined in 1995 molyneux and his brother hugh got into the software business they founded Caribou Systems Corporation, a Toronto-based provider of environmental database software. Uh, the company was sold in 2000. Uh, after this, he decided to try his hand at historical fiction uh, and wrote the book Revolutions, which was self-published in 2002. The book is described as, quote, a powerful tale of love, loyalty, murder, and redemption set in Russia in the late 19th century. Nice. <laughs> now, during the pogroms. <laughs> <laughs> Now, despite the fact that the book is self-published, it is listed as out of stock on Amazon, so I sadly was not able to acquire a copy of you it. You were going to do that to yourself? I was like, I listen, I read I learned a lot of his, his, his free books online, so I, was, I punished myself for you, so oh. I hope you enjoy this. We do. So the, the, the book uh, currently has five reviews on Amazon, the earliest of which came from his wife, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool, though. Yeah. It's nice to have a supportive uh, loved one. <laughs> but after his stints in academia, business, and fiction, he decided to move on to his true passion project, what he, what he calls philosophy. In 2005, uh, Molyneux began the podcast Free Domain Radio, or FDR. Uh, Free Domain Radio was primarily supported by donations from listeners, so you know he's a real piece of shit. <laughs> Just like us. <laughs> Not alone, but totally right media. <laughs> It grew into a robust online community. Now, according to some ex-followers of Stephen Molyneux, in the early days of free domain radio, it was a pretty standard sort of libertarian community. But it morphed into something more cult-like, mostly due to Stefan's narcissism and inability to handle criticism. Oh, what? 
he blocked us, <laughs> I think, just for saying yeah, that he's a white supremacist. And But Stefan also loves to decide what is or isn't a, a point. Yeah. He's like, that is not a point. Goodbye. <laughs> what I made was a point. Okay. <laughs> Like I mentioned, Stefan's uh, writings, podcasts, and videos cover a broad range of philosophical topics, but I think I can broadly summarize his worldview with just three points. One, almost all parents are irrational and abusive towards their children. Two, this abuse and irrationality creates lifelong psychological problems. Three, these psychological problems are why people accept the legitimacy of governments and religion and why they reject political anarchy and atheism. Yeah, it's so funny how these guys are always correct, except it's just about their own lives. You know, they're, they're always like, this is how the world works. And you're like, that is how you grew up. And, <laughs> right. that is, and that is how you've coped. Yeah. You're correct. And then it, right at the end, it's like, anarchism. It's a way of thinking. Philosophize. To that first point about uh, all parents being irrational and abusive, here's what he said in a 2005 blog post. Of all the relationships in your life, your relationship with your parents and your siblings is by far most likely to be completely screwed up. <laughs> Not only that, but you also have absolutely no power to improve these relationships. Which is untrue. Uh, so face it, your parents were bullies or weak couriers of favor or manipulative emotional infants themselves. Oh my God. You have no respect for them, for respect requires courage and courage requires logical morality. If you do not, you do not love them, since love demands virtue, and manipulating children into blind obedience is not at all virtuous. There are only a few possible responses to modern parents. Contempt. Indifference. Boredom. Hatred. Empty conformity. Stefan also once said this. God, but he's training people to, to also have a bad relationship with their parents. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it's just like it's like that old Calvin and Hobbes cartoon where where Calvin walks out of the house and he's just yeah has a huge frown on his face and he's super grumpy and everything he does, you know, on his way to the bus stop, you can just tell how pissed off he is. And he finally gets to the bus stop and Susie Durkins, the you know, his his neighbor friend is also standing there and she's like, hey, Calvin, how you doing? And he's like, you he's like, you better get away from me, Susie. I'm in a bad mood today. And then, like, the last panel is, like, Susie also in a bad mood. And the, and the caption is, like, nothing helps a bad mood like spreading it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's Molyneux's, like, yeah. entire no, no. creed. But then he's also like, but no, but I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. Yeah. You're I'm wrong. happy. Every father is a criminal. I'm happy. Deep down, I do not believe that there are any really good parents out there. The same way that I do not believe there were any really good doctors in the 10th century. I mean, that, that, that's every every person's a parent unless you don't have a child. So that means you're just saying all of humanity is bad, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he really believes that he is uh, one of the few non-corrupt people in the fucking universe, as we'll see soon. So um, like all the people that are like, first of all, I just want to thank my mom and my dad. You guys were so supportive and you pushed this dream and, the, and he's like, lies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he refers to the family you're born into as your family of origin or foo. That's F-O-O. -O. Oh my God, he's fucking got acronyms going. Full culty ass motherfucker. He is also referred to the family you're born into as your accidental biological cage. What? He, oh, it's kind of, I love that Smashing Pumpkins song. <laughs> 
<laughs> he calls cutting yourself off from your family defooing. I mean, come on. Uh, like in, this guy's fucking literally writing like a like a Chinese food menu of just <laughs> of weird acronym shit. And, you know, there, there's like no denying that like, uh, you know, that, you know, it's possible that your family m- might be a toxic presence in your life. Yeah. If they're abusive or something. That's just possible. That happens. But at the same time, like encouraging like almost everyone to cut off their family that you can like you can reach. That's like that's cult. That's basic cult yeah. tactics. You need to like, uh, you know, alienate the individual from their other support systems so that they only listen to you. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, 2008, The Guardian reported uh, on a woman named Barbara Weed, whose son, Tom, had become a devout follower of Stephen Molyneux and consequently defooed. Um, here's Barbara's account of how Stefan Molyneux affected his her son. One night, he blurted out that when he left home, he wouldn't come back and that I would never see him again. At first, I thought he was talking about university, that, that he wasn't coming home after that. But I was puzzled by the bit about never seeing him again. He responded that we had no relationship and that it was over. Tom didn't seem interested in communicating, merely in throwing accusations. For instance, that his brother John and me were fond of laughing at him, which wasn't true. I began to notice that he was interpreting all family interactions as abusive. We did our best to be a happy family. Knowing what I do now about the website, I think Tom was being convinced by the online community that he had been cheated because he didn't have a perfect family upbringing. But who does? We really did try our best. In this aspect, um, both Stefan Molyneux and his wife practice what they preach. They both say that they have defood. They have, they have cut off their parents and don't, don't speak to them anymore. Um, as a consequence, Stefan Molyneux said that himself and his wife are the only people in the universe who have dealt with their own corruption. They're the only person in, there are only two people in the known universe who I've ever known directly who have dealt with in a positive, powerful, constructive, and amazing manner with their own corruption. And that's myself and my wife. So imagine, I mean, can't, imagine the burden he must feel can to be you, one of two non corrupt people in the universe. In the universe. Yeah. God like a, damn it, man. There's like a little bit of Scientology in here, yeah, too. Yeah, there's a lot of hubris. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's pretty I think it's pretty clear by now that Stefan Molyneux is, is just a megalomaniac. Yeah. He really believes he is the center of the universe. He has solved all problems, and anyone who doesn't think exactly like him is a moron. Yeah. His brain is too powerful to not block anybody who disagrees. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, and reaching impressionable youngsters uh, to get his message of telling your folks to fuck off was a big part of the early vision of free domain radio in this clip stefan talks about the importance of defueling and uh, basically reaching young people with this message and so i felt when i was working out the approach to free domain radio i felt that i could not speak to the children directly it's possible to speak to teenagers i think and so how do you do it how do you do it how do you break the habits of a hundred thousand years? How do you break the oldest dictatorship? By which you mean parenting. Really, that's why Whoa. there's been this defooing theme. And this is why, although the hardest thing other than defooing is talking to people about defooing, I think it's something that it's important to do because people don't even know that they can. <laughs> they don't even know that it's an option. And it's, it's going to be a slow, at least one generation. But people who've defooed, or at least have heard about defooing, they can at least know 
that their authority as parents is not an absolute. Yeah, I'm glad he eventually went to Poland to figure out that the parents there are actually good. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have needed. you don't have to fucking completely disconnect yourself from your parents to know that sometimes their advice is shitty. Uh, also, by the way, you know what I mean, like like yeah. disowning and running away from your parents is a thing that people have been doing forever. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. not a new thing you yeah. invented, sir. Yeah, it's it's very strange. It, it sounds like what happens, like he realized that cutting himself off from his parents was the best choice for him. And maybe it was. Yeah. And he, but for, for most people, they like, like they move on. They realize that their personal experience doesn't reflect the experience of all of humanity, yeah. but he can't do that. No, he, he says that like, has oh, to be universal. It has to be universal. My experience has to apply to all humanity. Otherwise I, 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 I don't get it. Yeah. Why? What am I doing here? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. What am I yeah. being the smartest guy on earth? The only non-corrupt human being. <laughs> Why am I sacrificing myself for all of you? So uh, a core element of Stefan Molyneux's uh, philosophy is the promotion of anarcho-capitalism. And uh, anarcho-capitalists believe in a totally stateless society, no laws, no courts, no public services of any kind. And this is a, this is a pretty radical position. So even like rock-rib libertarians usually concede that some kind of government system is necessary to, at very least, protect property rights. You know, how can like voluntary free trade be successful if there are no enforced laws against theft or fraud, for example? Yeah, right. Though, uh, though the anarcho-capitalists, of course, they, they claim that there can be solutions to these problems. But uh, anarcho-capitalism is not original to Stefan Molyneux. In fact, uh, the leading theorist of uh, anarcho-capitalism was the Austrian economist Murray Rothbard, who uh, Stefan cites as an influence. Mm. Uh, Stefan's belief in anarchism is so strong that he even suggests disassociating with anyone who believes in any kind of form of government. Here's what he said in a comment on his forum. I don't think that it is particularly honorable to remain friends with someone who is unwilling to renounce the use of violence against you, but that is everyone's decision to make, of course. So again, the idea that it's honorable to cut off everyone who disagrees with your weird fringe political views is 100% cult ideology. Mm-hmm. So um, as a consequence of his anarchism, he actually arrives at some positions that people on the left might find appealing. For example, in his early years, he is anti-nationalist, anti-war, and anti-Islamophobia. In a uh, 2007 video titled Muslims Are Not Your Enemy, he rebukes people in the libertarian community for having Islamophobic tendencies. All right, look, it's time for us to <laughs> cut through some of this crap around the U.S., and Muslim fear and paranoia. I'm part of a mailing group with some very, very intelligent people on it who continually talk about their fear of Muslims and how the Muslims want to kill the Americans and how there's just bad, bad Muslim mojo all over the damn planet. And I think that it's time that we just got a few of the facts down to try and quell some of this mob mentality around Muslims. Yeah. So yeah, in that video, he really, he really sounds genuinely irritated by the Islamophobia in his in his community. That he talks about he talks about the uh, you know the invasion of Iraq and stuff. He talks about uh, American sort of uh, war in sort of Muslim majority uh, community, uh, countries and stuff. So it is interesting to see how he feels about Islamophobia in these early days, considering the direction he eventually goes into. Yeah. 
he uh yeah he will actually become a little bit more flexible in his anarcho-capitalist principles with the rise of trump <laughs> to give one example you might assume that stefan is fine with private social media companies like twitter moderating their content and banning whoever he, they want but strangely he is not and it seems this comes from his belief that uh, right-leaning content is treated more harshly than left-leaning content in a 2018 video titled, But Twitter is a Private Company, he argues that while Twitter is allowed to set their own rules, it's dishonest for them to not apply their own rules consistently. Here's what he says. They are free, of course, to not consistently apply their rules. But, but, if they claim that they are applying their rules consistently, then they have to apply their rules consistently. That's part of the contract explicit or implicit, of having people invest time and labor into your platform. He's so fucking stupid. He is. Yeah. Every time you look at his face, you're like, oh, that's a dumbass guy just trying to get through his fucking sentence. You know, yeah, it's a funny thing. It's like I, I took a look at Twitter's terms of service, which apparently is something that Stefan Molyneux did not do. And uh, I, I noticed this particular line, and it says, we may suspend or terminate your account or cease providing you with all or part of services at any time for any or no reason. Yeah, so, we, I mean, I, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but like in, in the explicit contract you agree to when you create a Twitter account, it says that they can ban you because you're right or because you're left or because they don't like your face or because they feel like it. Twitter is upfront and honest about this. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is this is, again, something we often see with Stefan Molyneux is that he acts like he is perfectly rational and uh, he, is, he is incredibly principled and virtuous. But the moment he gets inconvenienced, you know, then the, he throws that all, all out the window. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, meanwhile, he's he's on Twitter, and the last I heard of him on Twitter before he fucking brutally blocked me, uh, <laughs> he was railing on about how no one wants to talk about how Epstein is Jewish. <laughs> Just like, what, what the fuck? This is what you focus on? All those kids say, and you're like, why won't we talk about the fact that he's a Jew? <laughs> like, to What? Now you might ask, how exactly does he morally justify anarcho-capitalism and cutting off your family and friends if they aren't also anarcho-capitalists? <laughs> well, in 2005, Stefan Molyneux was faced with the exact same question. Here's what he wrote uh, in an article for LouRockwell.com. One of the central challenges faced by libertarians is the need to prove that libertarian moral theory is universally correct while statist and collectivist moral theories are incorrect. Until moral rules can be subjected to the same rigor and logic as any other propositions, we will forever be stymied by subjectivism, political prejudices, and the argument from effect. Stefan Molyneux found a solution to this conundrum in the form of his moral philosophy, which he calls universally preferable behavior. So, of course, he has set out his own perfect moral philosophy. In his book, A Universally Preferable Behavior, A Rational Proof of Secular Ethics, Stefan claims to have accomplished something that has eluded philosophers for thousands of years. He has created an airtight, provable system of secular ethics. Now, if this were true, it would be a historical accomplishment in the history of ideas. Here is his task in his view. The question before us is thus. Can some preferences be objective, i.e. universal? When I talk about universal preferences, I am talking about what people should prefer, not what they always do prefer. He claims that these 
universal preferences, the things that all human beings ought to prefer, are morally binding. Those preferences which can be considered binding upon others can be termed universal preferences or moral rules. Now, is proof of this framework often lies in claiming that you can't deny that there is a universally preferable behavior without contradicting yourself. For example, he claims this in the book. If I argue against a proposition that universally preferable behavior is valid, I have already shown my preference for truth over falsehood, as well as a preference for correcting those who speak falsely. Arguing against the validity of universally preferable behavior demonstrates universally preferable behavior. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, this is clearly if nonsense. If I'm wrong, I'm right. If <laughs> I'm right, I'm right. And if I'm anything at all, it turns out I'm fucking right, bitch. Of course, yeah, of course. Just because I have a preference for truth over falsehood, it does not follow that this preference is universal. It would be awfully narcissistic to assume that my personal preference reflects the preference of all of humanity. Mm -hmm. As we've often explored in this podcast, in some instances, people do prefer falsehood over truth because spreading falsehood might serve some particular political ends. Uh, furthermore, a momentary preference to correct those who speak falsely doesn't mean you want to all you always want to. You might, for example, prefer not to correct someone who speaks falsely because it's not worth the hassle or you just want to get along with them socially. So his, his arguments like are always this bad. It's, it's, it's so ludicrous that he considers himself a, a sort of a rational philosopher when he makes just just incredible dog shit arguments. I don't know. I feel like I'm watching two masters go at it, you know, right, right now. The clash of the titans. And a uh, review of universally preferable behavior by uh, David Gordon, who is a senior fellow at the libertarian Ludwig von Mises Institute. Uh, it was very negative. Here's what it said. Molyneux does not succeed in his noble goal. He fails and fails miserably. His arguments are often preposterously bad. You <laughs> <laughs> I, I do i do i think that this much this must really frustrate uh stefan that it is so self-evident that he's stupid and his points don't make any sense that people just go nope that's wrong and you're stupid and he's like oh you will not argue with me will you and it's like no because no on face value you're that stupid and it must really fucking sting when you think you're this smart and people just wipe you away yeah. from any kind of participation just on face value yeah, it was interesting. Sort of when sort of exploring his works and people who criticized him, I found like generally the most the harshest, most incisive criticism of him came from the libertarian community who might otherwise be sympathetic to his ideas. Yeah. But like even even then there's generally they're they're they they sort of like they like his ideas generally. Whenever they sort of he expresses them sort of in a sort of rational proof, they they really, really hate him. It's yeah, it's interesting. But um on top of that, there already exists a secular ethical philosophy based upon individual preferences. It's called preference utilitarianism. And uh, the most famous proponent of preference utilitarianism is probably the Australian philosopher uh, Peter Singer. So here, Stephen Molyneux has tried and failed to develop an ethical philosophy that basically already exists in a more sophisticated and better developed form. Ah, such strong Scott Adams vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Just this idea that your brain is so big that anything you touch, you'll do amazingly well. You know, yeah. every occupation is just waiting for your for golden... Just to conquer it. Yeah, yeah, your golden brain to finally, you know, whisper life into what for thousands <laughs> of years have eluded the best and the brightest. So that that basically covers his sort of his broad worldview. 
But now I wanted to get into the controversies that may have contributed to his uh, red pilling. Uh, the first controversy uh, concerns his wife, Christina Papadopoulos, who works as a psychologist. Relation or no relation? No relation. Okay. No relation to the uh, yeah, George Papadopoulos of Russiagate fame. So at one point, Christina Papadopoulos was a regular feature of Stefan's podcast. However, starting in 2010, her presence on the show was completely scrubbed, as was documented by the anti-Stefan Molyneux website, fdrliberated.com, which was, by the way, very helpful in my research. A lot of the, the ex-followers of Stefan were very, very, they produced a lot of material showing just how fraudulent this man is. Oh, you're going to read the, 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 the angry customer reviews <laughs> that weren't served well and judge a restaurant based on those? Ugh, give me a break, man. In uh, 2012, the likely reason that her presence was scrubbed was discovered. The College of Psychologists of Ontario found Christina Papadopoulos guilty of professional misconduct, faulting her for adopting Stefan Molyneux's views and using the internet to counsel people to sever ties with their families. Here is what the panel said in a ruling. Your statements in support of defooing are not supported by current professional literature or consistent with the standards. It added... Your objectivity, competence, and effectiveness were compromised by financial interests since you and the Free Domain Radio website actively solicited donations. Mm, grifters. Yeah, exactly. So here we have a you know a professional uh, you know, organization of psychologists basically telling you that the, your theories about defooing are baseless. They are not supported by any sort of research. And also, you're a fucking grifter. But defooing, do we have to say this? This isn't a thing. They made it up, right? Yes, yes. Why is the fucking scientific community accepting that on face value and, and being like, your beliefs on defooing, which you fucking, it, it's a, right. it's not even a, it's not. You're right. <sighs> but Pete, that's what it is now. We just have to fucking. We have to. We have to new accept. words just come and <laughs> fuck it. It's now it's a thing now. Defooing. Fuck. It gets worse somehow. According to Stefan Molyneux on his podcast, he would sometimes listen in on his wife's therapy sessions through a vent in their home. <laughs> prisoner's shit what the fuck dude oh my god these fucking psychos these fucking sociopaths this is the same energy as like people who like as a couple abuse children for years like who just like have like an organized an organized abuse of children like this is fucking oh my god Oh my God, a vent. What is he, fucking Schmeagel? <laughs> I'm listening by the vent. <laughs> God, fuck you, villainous little fucking toad. I have a feeling he's going to tell us about it. Seen as a practice of psychology, and so people are in her office and uh, messed up and sobbing, and she still finds it very, very difficult when she is a recognized authority and they are genuinely in distress and she has their sole attention and they're paying her to do it and she has them for weeks or months she still finds it very difficult to affect meaningful change in people and that could be a lot of times because i'm upstairs and i'm what i'm doing is um uh, we have a like a vent system in our uh, house and christina works in in the house and so if I'm home, like if I'm working from home or if she's got an early evening patient and I'm home and I'm upstairs, what I'm doing is I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the vent system. I'm sort of listening and I'm, 
I mean, she calls it heckling. I don't really call it heckling. What? Uh, I just call it providing suggestions about how things should go. Wait, wait. And that the people should donate to Free Domain Radio. I mean, it takes them a little while to figure out what on earth that is, but wait, uh, I do sort of try and put my two Yelling down the vent? Christina yep. says that that sometimes can be a little distracting and so on, but, His... but even with the combined weight what if you, you go to see a therapist and there's a disembodied voice coming down a fucking vent? Yep. It's like, oh, have you heard of defooing? Bro! Subscribe to Free Domain. Fuck, dude, this is like a horror film. <laughs> what the fuck? He's advertising from a vent. He's, he's, and, and he's open about it. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you, we found that clip. It is. <laughs> I found a lot of clips. What's really amazing about she Stephen calls Molyneux, it heckling. She calls. I she call calls. it. Why aren't you leaving this person? What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you and him and everyone involved? What the fuck is wrong with the guy who shows up for a fucking session that he's paying for, and there's some fucking husband disembodied voice <laughs> first, coming out of the fucking wall? <laughs> what the fuck? At first, what the fuck? He he kind of he kind of blew blew past that fact, and I I I caught it because she's telling the story and he goes, and I would. I would be in the vent. I would be in the vent. <laughs> went, she calls it I went, heckling. I went, did he did he misspeak? Did he misspeak or, or is what? he actually in the vent? Because you see, I, I was wearing the child's skin at the time, and, <laughs> and that is why I called out in the in this dark night that we all are in together, but my wife and and, and me will save you. Who comes back for that? Who comes back when <laughs> when you've gone for a therapy session and you've heard a <laughs> coming out of the vent. I mean, I mean, you gotta like that. You gotta be into that. You want that. You want that angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. That must be like you know, I, I some can, kind I, of weird therapy fetish. I, I cannot get over this. There's, no, I cannot get over that this guy not only did this but talked about it. It's so funny because not five minutes prior, you were like, "What is he, Smeagol? Like, I against the vent." I it's thought like, he was listening, and like, it was already so fucking creepy and and beyond the pale that but, he would talk through the system. But when he says in the vent, you have to imagine that he yeah, like he's leading he, his little bald head <laughs> into the vent. Yeah, that he takes the screen <laughs> off and stuffs himself in. <laughs> you know, how far does he stuff himself in? Does he have to crawl? Honey, it's, it's, it does not sound like it's depression. I believe he just needs to be drinking more castor oil. Oh, don't mind him. It's just my husband, Stefan. Crawling in the vent again. <laughs> the second big controversy from this era concerns how Stefan Molyneux responded to a persistent critic of his. In 2014, a YouTube channel called True Shibes uh, started posting video, uh, video clips of Stefan Molyneux's podcast and then overlaid it with text criticism. For example, there was one video in which uh, True Shibes took a uh, clip of Stefan Molyneux claiming that defooing wasn't a big part of his philosophy and then edited it together with clips of Molyneux talking about how important defooing is. So basically just showing how much how crazy he is and exposing his hypocrisy was basically this, this channel's goal. It was very successful. It was got very popular with uh, the anti sort of Stefan Molyneux crowd. In uh, August of 2014, the True Shibes YouTube account was shut down after receiving multiple digital millennium copyright notices for using Molyneux's material. Now, 
This is crazy for multiple reasons. First and foremost, it's crazy because Stefan Molyneux has previously claimed that, as an anarchist, he doesn't even believe in intellectual property laws. I, I don't agree that uh, intellectual property is, uh, is particularly valid. Oh, that's a pretty and, straightforward quote. Right. And secondly, it's crazy because Trushiba's use of Molyneux's material is legal under fair use laws. So this was an obvious abuse of copyright law. So it, it doesn't even serve the purpose of legally protecting Stephen Molyneux's intellectual property. It just shut. It just just served to shut down someone who didn't like Stephen Molyneux. Mm -hmm. Now this this whole episode horrified much of the libertarian and uh, anarcho-capitalist community, who are already extremely wary of the the cult of personality Stephen Molyneux had built around himself. For example, here is uh, Michael W. Dean of the libertarian podcast Freedom Friends. Basically. This guy, Stefan Molyneux, has been censoring critics, using intellectual property laws to do it when he says he's against intellectual property laws. But moreover than that, to me, censoring critics, like not allowing free speech about him. And he may come after us, you know, but if he doesn't come after us, he doesn't come after any of my friends, I'm not going to have reasons to do two hour long shows on him anymore. I've said what shortly after this episode, Stefan Molyneux complained about a dip in donations and said that his finances need to be shored up. Uh, we were having a bit of a dip uh, from last month, uh, so if you'd like to help shore up the finances of the world's greatest philosophy conversation, we would massively, massively uh, appreciate it. FDRURL.com slash. Hmm. With his ideological fellow travelers turning on him and his audience starting to abandon him, he needed a fresh audience to boost his numbers. Well, fortunately, there was an audience of people who are full of grievances, who are willing to throw money at whoever told them that they were the smartest, most special people who ever walked the earth. And he found it with the rise of the alt-right and Donald Trump. And that is basically what caused him to abandon anything resembling libertarianism and start promoting some of the most racist and sexist views this side of Stormfront or on Stormfront side of Stormfront. It just is insane how incredibly racist and sexist he becomes. But we're going to go into more detail on that in part two of our exploration of Stefan Molyneux. Damn, so far so good. Wow. I will never, never forget Stefan Molyneux talking down through a vent into a fucking, right. into his wife's meeting. That's, it's, it's really when you Dutch oven yourself so far that you're just like, you don't even understand what's wrong and right anymore. You're just like, yeah. everybody is like an insect that I play with in a, large solarium dome it is your lives are within my whims and hands i could crush you or yeah. masturbate you no one knows but yeah what's what's really stunned me about stefan molyneux when researching is the amount of shit he just says out loud yeah. like it doesn't even consider to them like what he's saying mm. is insane and shameful or possibly criminal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's fucking Odo from Deep Space Nine. <laughs> He's fucking becoming a liquid Stefan Molyneux creature. <laughs> I'm listening to you through the tap. Oh, now I'm in the wall. He's the real tap water goblin. Dude, this guy's in the fucking pipes. Yeah, he He's is. He's the real tap water goblin. You need to, you need to, you need to fucking, oh God, I can't believe he blocked us. Why won't he just debate us? I don't right. think he's blocked me. He doesn't want to engage debate with us, us in the marketplace of ideas yeah but jake come on that's because you don't abuse guys like this you abuse libs instead <laughs> yeah, that's true <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't actively gone after him once i retweet the episode though i assume i'll be i'll be blocked hopefully yeah hopefully i don't want to i don't want a portal open to this guy 
You've been listening to the QAnon Anonymous podcast. We do not run any advertising on the show. Instead, we use a straightforward $5 monthly subscription system. And for that amount, you get access to a second weekly episode alongside all the ones we've already recorded. So please visit patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous to support us and help us become completely self-sustaining. So this week, we have a bit of an announcement. We have some merch up now. You can go to merch.qanonanonymous.com and uh, check out a couple of t-shirt designs uh, for both dark and light t-shirts. We have a two-sided one. It says uh, Home of the Deep Dish on the back with this kind of cool JFK Jr. Uh, pixel design on the front. Uh, yeah, so we have that. We have more coming, but uh, go, go ahead and go check that out. You can get mugs as well. Blah, blah, blah. Shillcentral.com slash give me money uh, point. I'm sad inside. <laughs> Semicolon kill me. <laughs> If you'd like to hang out and chat with us and other listeners, we've set up an easy link to join the Discord. That's discord.qanonanonymous.com. And uh, no, you don't need to be a Patreon person to jump in and, and chat with all of us. Our Twitters are at QAnonAnonymous, at Travis underscore view, at Julian Field, and at Real Rockatansky. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto cue.